I'm Carly. And I'm Rachel. We are so happy to welcome you back to the third episode of the Hedge Witches Almanac, where we're going to be talking all about Yule. We'd just like to start before, uh, by saying a massive thank you to anyone who's left a review for us. Not only does it make us smile and feel like we're bringing some happiness to someone, but it also means that more witches like you can find us and our little community can grow. So thank you all. And if you do feel inclined to support us at all, this is one wonderful way that you could do that. Um, I don't know about where you are, Carly, but it is so yule tidy here at the moment. We've had snow, some icy mornings, frosty mornings. Have you had that too? We've spoken a ton and I've not actually asked you. <laughs> Sad to say no, I've been deeply envious of all the beautiful pictures that we've got up that you've put up on the Hedrich's Almanac um, Instagram site we've got because we haven't got a speck of snow here. So I'm right by the sea. So it tends, as I know, you know, it tends to always be a lot warmer. So if we do get snow, it's like really, really rare. But no, none of the white stuff. No. Well, fingers crossed, like at some point for you all, that would be lovely absolutely absolutely and also sorry i meant to say um yeah i am so grateful for the reviews we've had it's been epic honestly you are so lovely and we love doing this so it is so nice to see it warmly received and i think my mum likes this more than my podcast it's definitely her jam she messaged me the other day <laughs> oh well, no, she really likes it <laughs> so <laughs> yule is the celebration of the winter solstice which takes place this year on 22nd of december it is the middle point of the dark months we experience the longest night and the shortest day this means of course that from this point onwards the days start getting longer I think it's really easy to forget this. I think lots of people probably feel like this point comes sometime after Yule and after the new year. And maybe that's down to the fact we have the coldest weather of the year in January and February. Usually it can feel like the depths of the year, but in terms of what we talked about before, about finding the treasure in the seasons and making the journey through the dark months as easy as it can be. Acknowledging the passing of the shortest day feels really important to me. This is the point in the year where the Holly King loses his fight with the Oak King and for the next six months, the Oak King will reign and the hours of light will grow until the summer solstice when the Holly King will reign once more. We have been reflective and contemplative, I can't say this word, <laughs> contemplating since Samhain and now we have the opportunity to sow seeds of intentions for the coming year. We can set out our wishes and hopes for our future and start to think about how these plans could come into fruition. When season bulbs are sown in the dark months, they are not inactive but are preparing to shoot through the earth as the light begins to return. We can do the same we can start to think about how our intentions can be manifested. It's not yet the time for action, but for starting to set intentions. With this in mind, it's still a period in which we can rest. I know we, we laugh out loud at this concept as me and Rachel run around like headless chickens. And um, <laughs> I know we likely need to rest right now. It's often so busy. I think this time of year always is, and I'm definitely feeling it. 
Oh, same. I mean, if if people knew it had taken us an hour and a half just to get to the point where we're recording this podcast this morning because of all my internet issues and I wanted to throw my computer out the window. Um, that's just one storm. little thing. Honestly. <laughs> we have had a storm though. See, it has been particularly wild weather-wise. So we will, we will say that that hasn't helped at all. <laughs> Not at all. But I'm definitely pleased that we've got a week. I think it's, I assume it's the same everywhere. We've got a week of the holidays before Christmas actually kicks in, um, which I'm going to use to firstly have a rest, but also give me and my girls some time to do some Yule related crafts and baking. Um, so I'm really excited about the recipes you've got to share with us today. I so, always feel sorry for the kids. Sorry, Rachel, because no, it's all right. when they break them up, so break them up, when they break up school so close to Christmas, they just look like these wild haired little maniacs, you know, <laughs> they're sleep deprived, jacked up on sugar and high on the thought of father christmas and it's like you know when it finishes like dead on christmas you're like poor things they just need a break they need a rest you know and like then we hit them with all the (laughs) yeah i feel like it's a really long term this one well it is i think it's more weeks than the other terms and um here in leicester we go back to school really early after the summer break so they're back at the end of august so then to get all the way through to december it just i know you've got half term but yeah we need we need a break so <laughs> we are going to celebrate yule which is associated with um, the colors red white green gold and silver its herbs are witch hazel cinnamon clove myrrh frankincense um, it's symbolized by pine cones stars candles and wreaths and animals associated with this time of year are the deer and the squirrel. And the bird is, of course, the robin. The full moon that we have in December is known as the cold moon, the oak moon, the frost moon, the winter moon, the faithful moon, and the moon before Yule. Um, That's just lots of names for one moon rather than many moons that suddenly appear in December. That's lovely, I like that. (laughs) I like all the names for all the different Mm. full moons that we have. So some lovely ways to celebrate Yule include celebrating the return of the light. I know it doesn't feel like the light's returning, but as you said, we've reached the point at which the nights are no longer growing longer. They're going to start getting shorter. And although we might not notice that for a while, it's definitely happening. So you could celebrate this by lighting candles or watching the sunrise which um, is definitely easier to do at this time of year than at the summer solstice when it's, what, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning or something, Um, unless in the summer you're a proper party animal that's staying out all night and then you might see it anyway. You could also feast with your loved ones. And this sort of goes without saying for a Sabbath, doesn't it? There's always an excuse for a feast. Uh, Even in mainstream life, this is probably the time of year that most people are doing the biggest feasting of the entire year. So I am really looking forward to hearing the kitchen witchery section from you today. And that's the second time I've said that. So I must be either really hungry or hankering after some Yule flavours. If you're feeling crafty, you could also create a wreath or a Yule log, which I'm not going to go into now because I have a sneaking suspicion that it might crop up a little later. Um, You know what? I can't wait. You're going to have to go first. What lovely Yule recipes have you come up with? Oh, this is the episode episode I've been the most excited for. Um, I'm going to start with some simple foods that you can incorporate into some very beautiful but traditional style decorations. And 
Firstly, this could be using a multitude of things. So you could have a go at using some dried rosebuds, which are very easy to forage at this time of year. They, um, you can find them wild. You can use them within lots of different spell work you do. I have added them to a multitude of spell jars and the like in the work that I do. Alternatively, instead of dried rosebuds, you could use dried cranberries, you could also use popcorn, and you can simply take a needle and thread and work it through all the pieces. So I want to have a look at the going, uh, have a go at doing this. This is quite a delicate little, you know, twine that you can do with all these incorporated on. But alternatively... Oh, sorry, I'm sticking my, my nose in because that's just triggered a memory in me from so, so long ago. I've never heard of anybody talking about stringing popcorn but there was a, an old christmas cartoon thing that my sister used to watch where this chap comes in and starts stringing popcorn together and i'd totally forgotten about that but yeah why not it's only a temporary little decoration isn't it yeah and you can leave it out for the birds when you bring yeah. down the decorations it's really nice to give back to the earth and that's what i like about it I'm yeah going in for that whole I'm trying to go in for like that whole rustic thing and not really buy anything this Christmas not not from a Scrooge type mentality <laughs> I want to do a bit more with the earth and food and like my so there's another variation I've got on this as well because my mum does a lot of work in like um the local community and like so a lot of the farms ask her if she wants to come out with friends and they pick up the rest of like the apples that haven't been collected for like the main supermarkets and so on and she distributes them around to like food banks and things like that but she had some that she gave to me and I thought they are absolutely going to get eaten but I might use like a few of them for um because there were just tons like everyone's drowning in apples so I was fortunate <laughs> get given some <laughs> the whole of the local community is currently drunk you'd be amazed at how many are left over from farming and if yeah. it wasn't for like small communities doing this sort of work though they they would of course go back into nature but there is just a lot of like you know rot and and it's just not healthy so there's a multitude of like every people drowning in apples but i've got some and i'm going to use you know some of those within these recipes today so yeah i mean alternatively you might want to like dry some orange pieces you can cut apple pieces and they've got that beautiful star in the middle naturally. yes <laughs> so you know you can take some orange pieces pierce a small hole like dry them pierce a small hole through the top um you can maybe go through the center of your apple if you cut it kind of um, you know, across like where the core is and, um, you know, string it through the center. But you also might want to put some cinnamon sticks onto this so maybe like tie them in um, and then use some heavier twine. And these make the house smell amazing, but it has obviously got that gorgeous like rustic look, but this is very much like an old traditional way to decorate and very easy. I'm definitely going to give that a go. Me too, me too. I think it's going to be a really nice little process because it actually also reminds me, and I wish I could think of the name of this, and I want to say like a pomade. I don't know if that where I've got that from. So alternatively, you might wish to have a go at making the, a very traditional old form of decoration. And I'm sure we've all seen these with a large orange 
a ribbon, any color you choose. You might opt for traditional Yule colors, perhaps like red or green, or maybe use a bit of color magic for that that you wish to invoke for the season. So <laughs> get your ribbon and you want it to be long enough so that you can tie it like you would if you wrap a ribbon around a parcel. So you know when you're wrapping up a really fancy parcel and you cross it over at the back to change the direction, and yeah. then, you know, like you kind of, so do the crossover at the orange's base and then bring it back up to the top of the orange and knot it very tightly. So the orange is secure and it's little like ribbon holding. So once you've got your knot tied, you can, you know, you might want to like tie a little bow and then like a little loop so you can hang it up. And I did this when I was very young. So like, it's great to do a kid's but you can easily do it. I know it sounds complex. I'll put something in the Pinterest. Um, sorry, I put something in the notes like from Pinterest, but it, it's really simple. And once you've done that, you need to take approximately 300,000 gazillion clove pieces. <laughs> Three billion clove pieces. No, as many clove pieces as one would like and insert them into every single space in between the ribbon for a beautiful Yule smelling decoration. You don't really have to use that many cloves. Some people just add a few, but I remember maniacally sticking 3000 cloves into mine until it looked like some kind of form of medieval torture instrument <laughs> with like little prickly cloves on it. I can see that. <laughs> You know, like then you swing it round by the lasso at the top, like to hit people with. It kind of looked like... I'm just getting this image of this young you who did not know moderation and just... <laughs> yeah, I'm going all... It's all or nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, every single space must have a clove. But they smell unreal. They last for a long time. And these are really beautiful gifts too. I know, I know it's like, oh, thanks for gifting me an orange. But I have been to a couple of fancy winter Christmas markets that sell these for a packet as well as the like the twine orange apple cinnamon type decorations. So I think they are a gorgeous little thoughtful gift. And, you know, why not cast a magical intention for the loved one that you were gifting this to? It's a little bit of a cheat as it's a food and spell combination, but Yule offers up many opportunities when it com comes to combining the two. Do you so, know, I think oh, we need to move away, oh, it's me interrupting you. I think we need to move away as a society from the idea that a homemade gift is a cheap gift or a Scrooge type gift because the time and energy and love that goes into it and you've um, hit the nail on the head there by saying about it being a spell and a food combination it's lovely why wouldn't you want that and we're you know we would do better in my humble opinion as a society if we valued all that stuff more oh i'd be really happy if someone gifted me an orange with lots of clove three billion cloves in it genuinely <laughs> i think it's so thoughtful and if someone said you know i've put a, I, I think it's a lovely idea i really do i'm gonna have a go at doing some of these I am going to have to buy three million cloves, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> um, so always for me, like Christmas is very nostalgic. And we, we spoke on this uh, before we started recording today, Rachel and I, because the Robin has such strong association for me because of my nan and my nan's birthday was on Christmas day. And Rachel, I know your daughter's birthday was on, is on Christmas Eve as well. Yeah. So we, like we, quite a, we 
sentimental day, isn't it? It is. She's got an official <coughs> of, of Robin. And when we see Robins, we always say, oh, look, <laughs> you know, it, it's you in the sky. But um, yeah, it's a very special time for us. Well, I didn't know that because that is the same for my nan. So we used to buy and make loads of stuff for her with the Robin on. And she was she passed when she was 100. So whenever I see anything with a Robin on, I always think it's her. And it's, so it's really like, and I didn't know that about you, obviously, with your little one, because that always is a family thing for us as well. But I've spoken on this before um, on the podcast. Um, so Nanny Rose to me was like, the original kitchen witch in my family. She taught me a lot about making cakes, but also trained me in eating them from a very young age. Um, so <laughs> one of the, <laughs> hi, I'm Carly and I'm a cakeitarian. Uh, so <laughs> one of the only things that I really kept in my nans, like that meant something to me was a handwritten recipe for the Christmas cake that she made. I think this is a wonderful your cake. Like, so she made this for, each of her children's families each year. And I mentioned they used to get wrapped in foil and paper, stuffed under her bed from September. Um, It's not a tricky recipe. What's tricky is me trying to read her curly, cute handwriting. So here we go. (laughs) So we're going to call this Nanny Rose's Yule Cake. This is very traditional. I say traditional. I don't know where she got it from. It could be really old. It could be simply from Delia Smith. Who knows? But, um, and actually, my nan was really good friends with Delia Smith's mum. Isn't that mad? Was she really? It probably is Delia Smith. Then you're probably claiming something as an old heirloom recipe of your family, and it is Delia Smith. (laughs) Well, apparently, Delia Smith was really young. So I don't know if she got to like her christmas queen type you know status then but yeah like so my nan was friends with her mum. how random is that but anyway <laughs> here is nanny nanny rose's uh your cake so um oven temperature is um 150 degrees celsius 300 degrees fahrenheit and don't worry this will all be in the show notes um so you need to cook this for about three and a half hours but for this you will need a eight inch cake tin, right, eight ounces of currants, eight ounces of sultanas, eight ounces of raisins, four ounces of mixed peel, although Nanny Rose said she only uses two ounces. Make your call on that. Um, I don't know why she put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nan. Uh, Four ounces of cherries, two ounces of ground almonds, eight ounces plain flour, half a tisp of mixed spice, half a tisp of ground cinnamon, eight ounces dark brown sugar, eight ounces butter, a pinch of salt, the grated rind of one lemon, four large eggs that you've pre-beaten before you stick them into the mix, and two tablespoons of brandy. But I, me and my granddad used to add a, a ton. It was like flammable. Um, so you're going to need to grease and line your eight inch cake tin using a double thickness of grease proof paper. My nan used grease proof paper like it was going out of fashion. And you want to um, like once it's done, she actually put on here. Tie a double 
band of brown paper or newspaper around the outside. So actually, she didn't use silver foil. She used newspaper or brown paper. This is when you've got it done, okay? So this is how you want to store it when for when you come to eat it. Anyway, to make the cake, you want to mix everything together. So get your currants, sultanas, raisins, peel, cherries, ground almonds, sift in the flour, salt, and spices into your bowl. Okay, so cream the butter, sugar, and lemon rind together till pale and fluffy. Then add the eggs a little at a time with a little of the flour, beating well after each addition. And then you want to fold in the rest of the flour with a metal spoon and then fold in the fruit. Bring it into a mixture and then pour it into a tin. So use a separate bowl for all your fruits, but then get everything together with all like your flour, your salt and your spices in a separate bowl. Then add all your like, you know, so everything separate from your fruit and then just chuck your fruit in at the end. Um, to be honest, I've done this and just kind of chucked everything in all at one go. It's failed. Like you can't fail. It will go perfectly. Um, and then just pour any alcohol that you want to add to this. But to make it super simple, I will add the recipe in the show notes. As I said, you need to put this in the oven for around three and a half hours. Your house will smell of Christmas on Yule on steroids. And um, like I say, bring it out to cool. And when it's done, you might just want to wrap this in like brown paper or some newspaper or some more of the greaseproof paper and um, wrap it in some twine. And there you go, ready for your or wherever you choose to use it. I'll put it under your bed for a bit first. Though. <laughs> under your bed for a bit. And of course, you have to do the magic part of the process, which uh, we always did, is to put your wish upon it. So you may want to do this whilst you're like stirring the mixture together, put a little wish on it for perhaps your or for the next coming year. So that's always the lovely bit. And I'm not going to suggest you put anything in it this time because I'm, I don't think we've had no one wants to break their teeth at you time that you would make it in advance like have we still got time to do it do you think or is this like yeah you have because I can never claim to be as organized as Nanny Rose who made it in September she probably would have made it in January if she could um you know because it just it does obviously age well if you um wrap it and put it under your bed um, for a good few months. But I have also made this in December and eaten it within a matter of, like I've eaten it like, you know, within a couple of days. I've done it right on time. So don't, you know, it is nice aged, but you can make it and just have it, you know, um, soon. You can ice this, you know, you can do whatever you wish with it. It's lovely with, um, you know, some apricot jam, marzipan across the top that you've rolled out, then your white icing and ta-da, there you go. Amazing, thank you. <laughs> but I will put a very lovely a little uh, recipe sheet for that that I've made in the show notes so that it all rings clear. And if you've got any queries, you can let me know. But I'd love to see if any of you have a go at that in homage to Nanny Rose. And then we're going to get on to, oh, what's ale, what's ale, what's ale. I've had to try to pronounce this multiple times since writing on this. I can't <laughs> you. I don't know. I know the word, but I don't know how you say it. So I 
have had this before but i've never made it and i'm really looking forward to make making this so this is a it is a traditional yule and new year toast derived from the anglo-saxons and it is like made towards your health or was how is how like the word i think they would have used but this would have been offered to visitors during the festive period or in some cases taken around the community in a large wooden bowl decorated with evergreen leaves, usually holly and ivy and festoons of bright red ribbons. Now, I don't know how true that is, but that is one recorded tradition for apparently the Suffolk area, which is where the recipe I'm going to give you originates from. However, wassail throughout the century, counties even, centuries and centuries, differed dependent on local ingredients and libations such as like ale, cider, apple juice and fruit. It would be what you could find to add to it. So it would really vary across the counties dependent on farming. It was often enjoyed also at weddings and christenings, also harvest, not just over the festive season, which I think is a little lesser known fact. The main ingredients are spices and alcohol. I am going to be making this because I'm off the sauce. Like if you're off the sauce like me, you can simply make this without the alcohol. There's certainly enough flavor in there for like the spice from the spices and the apples and oranges and so on. This recipe serves six to eight people. I found this on a lovely website called lavenderandlovage.com. But again, I will post the recipe in the show notes. So for this, you need six small cored apples, six teaspoons, teaspoons of soft brown sugar. I'm not used to it now when people write teaspoons. Why are you not saying <laughs> Come on, uh, six tisps soft brown sugar, one orange, six cloves, need lots of cloves, uh, 200 grams caster sugar, two liters of cider, 300 mils of port, 300 mils of sherry, two cinnamon sticks, half a tisp of ground ginger, a quarter of a tisp ground nutmeg and one lemon halved. So step one, preheat your oven to 200 degrees Celsius, 400 degrees, no, 400 Fahrenheit or gas mask. What is my, what is happening with my vocabulary today? Gas mask stick. <laughs> Don't put your gas mask on for making this. Gas mask sticks. Um, step two, cut around the middle of each apple with a sharp knife and place them in an oven-proof dish and fill each apple core like cavity with a tisp of um, brown sugar. So stick the cloves in your orange, your orange just as it is, and place it in with the apples in your dish. Add a little bit of water, about six tablespoons, and roast in your preheated oven for 30 to 45 minutes or until the apples are soft but still retain their shape. Then leave the apples in the dish to keep warm, take your orange out, cut that in half, and place it on a large in a large saucepan. Add all the rest of the ingredients and the juices from the like the juices from the apple roasting dish to the saucepan and gently heat until your sugar has dissolved. 
So then bring the mixture to the boil and then turn it down immediately, but keep it warm until you need to serve it. When you're ready to serve the wassail, ladle the fruit and spices into a large like punch bowl or however you want to do it, and then pour the wassail into the bowl. You can add the apples by floating them on top and like serve straight away in warmed mugs or cups. But you may just want to leave it, you know, on the stove. The smell will be amazing, you know, a bit like you do with mulled wine. And you can eso, you can eso, you can also eat the apples afterwards as a delectable dessert with cream or custard. So everything gets used up. I like that. <laughs> Always, yeah. Um, so that's a very, very um simple little recipe for that. And and you know what? Like, don't be worried if you haven't got, you know, maybe like both those forms of alcohol. There are various different types that you can use. So, you know, don't be afraid to like use what you have or yeah, do a bit of mixing and matching. Like, don't go with Bacardi or I don't know, Bailey's or anything <laughs> random. It's gotta be relevant, you know, like, yeah, I mean you could try it, it could be interesting. Um, so wassail is also accompanied by singing and it is popular as a beverage to enjoy whilst wassailing apple orchards. Although the practice of wassailing apple orchards has all but died out now, there apparently is a village in Cornwall, Grand Pound, where wassailing still takes place every new year. And apparently the Wildlife Trust in, um, like Staffordshire have hosted like big wassail celebrations. It's very common to have like Morris dancers there, all sorts. So yeah, very, very, very old tradition. And I have a traditional wassail song from Somerset where they also still celebrate wassailing on Old Twelfth Night, which is apparently the 17th of January. And bread that is soaked in cider is placed on the branches of an apple tree whilst onlookers sing wassail songs. Are you ready to sing along, Rachel? Yeah. (laughs) Have you got a tune? No. (laughs) (laughs) We could do it to like some random, I don't know, maybe like some random Nirvana song, hip hop. What do you want? Just read it. Just read it. We'll we'll Um, think about this and uh, maybe at a workshop we'll sing it. (laughs) You know what I just got in my head? God rest ye merry gentlemen god rest you jerry mentalman like god rest you merry gentlemen i don't know we could try it it could be really (laughs) we have not discussed this this is not planned i'm not singing but that's the magic (laughs) of podcasting um old apple tree we wassail thee and hoping thou will bear it works does work (laughs) for the lord doth know where we shall be till apples come and i'll be I've joined in for the bit that doesn't work. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) For to bear well and to bloom well, so merry let us be. Let every man take off his hat and shout to the old apple tree. Old (laughs) apple tree, we wassail thee and hoping thou will bear. Hatfuls, catfuls, free bushel bagfuls, and a little heap under the stair. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! I like how it just finishes sort of mid-tune. It half works, in fact, more than half. You're nearly there. And I'm sorry to leave you um, without thought. I just, I couldn't stop myself laughing, so I couldn't sing. 
what more do you want? What a little ditty. And that is where I'm going to leave you with the wonderful Rachel, who's going to probably have something far more educational in regards to the plants and foraging side of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rap about all these plants. This <laughs> I'm going to MC. I'm going to drill style about plants and foraging. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm going to put my very serious voice on and talk about serious things. So I've done on this occasion exactly what you did last time. I thought straight away about this plant that I wanted to talk about, but thought of a couple of others too. Uh, but like you with cyclamens in the November episode, there was so much information that I could have just filled the, filled the entire podcast just talking about it. So I've only done one plant. I've tried to rein myself in as much as possible because I get a bit overexcited about things. There are loads of your related plants and that you could go and find out about. But for now, for today, it's just one magical and wonderful plant and it is mistletoe. Yay! <laughs> so I've wanted to grow my own mistletoe. And by the time I actually thought about finding out how you can do that, which was sort of probably March, April time, I started thinking about it. I was too late. So I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. When some berries appear, I'll wait and, you know, use those or um, in springtime, you can propagate your own. Well, I don't know about you, but I cannot find mistletoe in the wild anywhere. So as much as I would love to call this um, the plant to forage around Yule, if you can manage to for forage it, you're doing a lot better than me. In theory, it is capable of being foraged. And there are websites showing where it's been spotted, um, but I cannot find any near me. Have you? Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know? Have you seen any? Do you know if there's any around you? I've asked my mum about this, and same, absolutely the same. And I don't want to kind of like. I just want to interject on this and say, like, yeah, I, I haven't seen any anywhere. I was asking my mum, and I really think it is one of those. Sadly, you have to go in and get it from florists and so on because it is just really hard to find which makes me sad because it's a you know a traditional native plant and it's got all sorts of interesting folklore and things associated with it so i'd really like it to be more prevalent in the wild than it is so these websites that show where you can find it there's one you know that's leicestershire near where i am and most of the recording findings of it are from a few, good few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And also they generally tend to be in people's gardens. So I can't really go hopping over people's fences to go and have a look. Although it wouldn't, you know, I can be a bit Why over. Not? Well, I might go and knock. I might go and knock on some people's doors and ask about it. So you never know. <laughs> but you should at least, as you've said, be able to buy some around this time of year um, online and I'm optimistic that for many of us we'll be able to buy it locally too even if it's only for a short period right before Yule and Christmas from a local market or these pop-up Christmassy markets something like that. If you are able to get hold of some for Yule that's wonderful and if not maybe you can just harness the spirit of mistletoe nonetheless. So what is so wonderful about it? First of all and I have wondered whether this is fairly specific to me and people like me as a Gemini, a middle child and a hedge witch, because I always feel like I'm a little bit in betweeny as a result of these things, but it's a hybrid plant. So it is a shrub, but it grows from other trees in a parasitic fashion. 
I only learned this in the early part of this year when I was researching how to get some. I don't know what I thought until then about how it grew. Maybe I thought it was a bush or a shrub. I don't know. Mm. But it grows. Yeah, it, it grows on different types of trees, but not like something like ivy that can grow without another tree or and, and climbs up from the ground. It literally is from the tree itself. Um, it grows from a few different types of trees, mostly apple. They seem to be its favourite, whether that's just because people cultivate it on orchards and things, I don't know. But it can grow on hawthorn, pine, poplar, lime and conifers. And most valuably, according to folklore, the oak. And oh my, if you find any and it's on an oak, please let me know, because I would properly delight in hearing about that. Mm. So it is an evergreen plant, which should make it quite easy to spot at this time of year if it is growing off apple trees or oak trees or anything, because obviously they're going to be um, devoid of leaves and things. So you'll just see these lovely, they're sort of up to about a metre in diameter, balls of mistletoe. I've seen pictures of it and it looks amazing. It's got oval, smooth edged and symmetrical leaves that grow on little forked stems. And that's what gives it its iconic shape and appearance with, of course, the beautiful white berries. Uh, little baby mistletoes are made when one of the birds who, well, one of the birds, many of the birds who eat the berries spread the seeds either by the berries passing through the bird and the bird doing a lovely little poo <laughs> on an appropriate part of a host tree or some of them actually wipe their beaks on the branches uh, or the trunk to get rid of the sticky goo that's contained in the berries and the seeds obviously then are if they I guess if they get into a little crack in the tree that's how they would then um, make a new a new baby mistletoe plant but I think that's why we don't find it everywhere is I guess it's concentrated in small areas because the birds are going to eat the berries and then they're not going to fly off to wipe their beaks. They're going to do it there where they're eating. I love this. And I find it, I still don't know why I still laughed at, at the lovely little poo thing as a blind <laughs> woman. It just does it to us, doesn't it? Sorry. I just don't know what's wrong. <laughs> we still have a little more childish humour in our lives. Exactly. exactly. The, the birds that do... Um, I don't know what the word is like encourage the growth allow the growth of new mistletoe plants are the mistle thrush which seems quite obvious really when you think about it That's um, <laughs> and the black cap as well whilst we associate mistletoe with yule and winter the early christian church actually banned its use purportedly because of its association with the druids and for me if you tell me that something's banned that's like seeing a sign that says keep off the grass and I want to put my toe on it and probably do put my toe or my whole foot on it <laughs> so that's me love it even more but interestingly even though that was a long time ago this ban is apparently still widely observed in many churches today so you're unlikely to find it in their winter decorations again I'd be curious to know if if your church, if you are a church goer, books the trend and fills itself with mistletoe, there might be places, you never know. Wow. Like when they stuck yew trees in all the, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's, it, it would be interesting to know. Yeah, I was just thinking on, you know, like how that was a bit of a 
well, we're still going to stick something really pagan and druid here. So, you know, even though the churches were being built, that's really interesting. I didn't know that at all about mistletoe and it, it not being used. And you think it would because all the other plants that are, you know, in line with this season are very much observed within church decorations, aren't they? Yeah, I think mistletoe gets a really hard time in some um, in some ways. So the, the Druids did hold it in very high regard and they had particular rituals for collecting it. Depending on where you find your information, some people say that it was cut from trees using a golden sickle on the sixth night of the new moon after the winter solstice. So very specific, but also gives you still some time to go and find some. It wasn't allowed to touch the ground, so a cloth would be held underneath to catch the falling sprigs. And it was then taken home and a sprig would be placed over the doorway to protect against thunder and lightning, which I think is very specific, and also other evils. Um, wow. In some accounts of this practice, it was left in the doorway all year and taken down only to be replaced by the next year's freshly collected sprigs, which I think gives you an idea of how powerful they thought it was. Mm. So the Druids revered mistletoe that grew on an oak above all others and believed that it was its most sacred form and it could protect against all evils, no less, and was the source of much magic. I think just the appearance of mistletoe is quite is magical to me. Not that other plants are not, but there is something very magical about the look of mistletoe, I think. I feel like that anyway. I agree, definitely. So, very 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 magical looking it is it's an interesting and, and the fact that it is so different to other plants in the way it grows and in the way it appears i don't think you come across many leaves that are like that it's just you know when you look at it you almost think is that real i could confuse it with an artificial one because it looks so perfect mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there is folklore from Brittany to explain its status as a parasitic shrub, where it is known as, bear with me, Herbe de la Croix, and you can keep hey! that my French accent to yourself. <laughs> it's believed to have once been a tree and that that tree supplied the wood for the cross for the crucifixion. After the crucifixion, the tree then shriveled and was no longer a tree, but a parasitic vine. And that makes me a little bit sad because if you connect this with the ban on its use by the Christian church, it starts to build up a picture of a way of removing things that were important to Druids from general use and acceptance. You know, they've downgraded this wonderful plant and provided a very derogatory reason why it grows from other trees. I might be getting on my soapbox here on behalf of mistletoe, but it just feels a bit wrong and a little part of a comprehensive effort to control by devaluing things that were previously held in high regard but maybe that's just me no not at all because that's what happened to the fae they made them tiny they shrunk them down in size because before people saw them as this happened with so many common pagan druid type belief systems that they shrunk everything down or disregarded its you know sacredness so that people would kind of turn away from it yeah, I think there's a lot of accounts of, of things like this um, all across the board, you know, not just plants, not just um, fairy folk or anything. There's all kinds of different things. It does make yeah. me sad. I feel a little bit cross about it. It's also been called a vampire plant because of its ability to survive drought by draining water, 
and minerals from the host tree. Again, I struggle to see this as a negative because it just makes me think how amazing and resourceful it is. Mm. Now, there's a reference to it in Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, which I haven't read, I don't know the story of, but it refers to mistletoe as baleful mistletoe. Now, I had to look up baleful in the dictionary because although it's a word I've definitely heard, it's not part of my day-to-day vocabulary. But what it means is menacing and threatening harm, which again seems very mean. I, I love a lot about Shakespeare, but not on this occasion. Um, I'd like everyone to stop being mean to mistletoe because I think it's brilliant. <laughs> it seems to be the opposite of menacing and threatening. Maybe it does um, tie into the fact that all parts of certain varieties of it are toxic, but there's many plants that are toxic and we don't call them all baleful. So I'm going to stop telling everyone from history off who aren't druids and tell you instead about some customs associated with mistletoe. So Scandinavia have some lovely historical customs relating to it. Firstly, the enemies who met under mistletoe would not fight until the following day. So they would put their arms down um, and leave it until the following day because it was a plant of peace. Um, nice that um, it postponed the battle, but a shame that it didn't just like, you know, get rid of it entirely. <laughs> it's also in Scandinavia that the custom of kissing a person you meet under the mistletoe began possibly following on from the idea that it's a plant of peace although you know peace to smooching is a big jump for me so maybe there's a little <laughs> bit somewhere that I didn't manage to find. The kissing under the mistletoe was applied to anyone who met beneath it but for couples it held a slightly different meaning. It was that of a promise to marry coupled with a prediction of happiness and long life although I think this related more to um, New Year rather than Yule, maybe because of a, the prophetic element of happiness and long life that seems to sit with new starts, doesn't it? And New Year. Mm, yeah. In Romania, it's still used both medicinally and magically today, and it is associated with good fortune. Now, I was about to go on to uses because that's what my note says, but I've totally forgotten to mention all the wonderful mythology related to it, which are things like beliefs that the content of the berries is actually the semen of the oak king i think it is i'm going to get it wrong it's really well oh, worth looking into this okay <laughs> there's just loads of really interesting connections with it and also i'm gonna to have to see if i can find the notes because i haven't typed it up but stories about boulder the beautiful who was one of frigga's children frigg's children yeah. I think. and he was apparently the favored child and was killed by a spear made from mistletoe so somehow let me think i think then it was banished to the top of the trees by frigg because it had killed her son but then he came back oh. to life so she then made it a symbol of love there's loads of amazing stories about it anyway and you can find so much information I love that. That's really sweet. Yeah, just lovely little stories. So, depending on the variety of mistletoe, every part of it can be toxic, as I said. So I'm not recommending that anyone uses it for any of the historical uses to which it was apparently put. Um, this is just for interest. But it was known as all heal in ancient folklore, and it was said to have properties sufficient to cure illness, be an antidote to poisons, 
Um, not sure quite how that fits with its own toxicity, so <laughs> might look into it further. It's also said to have ensured fertility and medieval women were said to have worn it around their waists and wrists to increase fertility. I'm sure you said in your in the November episode that cyclamen was also worn in medieval yeah. times to increase fertility. And I've got this lovely image of um, just hardly any woman being spotted under these bouquets of magical plants. Um, like there's lots of other yeah, basically. <laughs> With mistletoe or cyclamen just shimmering about in them. <laughs> In, um, in Celtic and Druid mythology, it was considered for a remedy for barrenness in animals. So real great links to fertility for humans and animals. So you could therefore use images of it or carefully collected sprigs of it for any magic related to fertility, love, long life and happiness. And you could use, use it also as part of a protection spell for yourself, your home, your loved ones. And perhaps even if you find yourself in a fractious or combative relationship, you could summon the spirit of mistletoe to call for peace. I find the elements of gently caring, love and peace and that of powerful protection really rather wonderful. And it's a plant I'd like to get to know a little bit more. So in terms of practical use for it, for Yule, my suggestion is that you make a kissing bow, which is basically a double hooped garland or crown, which would be hung from the center of a room with red candles, rosettes of colored paper, apples and mistletoe. This is gonna to have to be quite a sturdy garland with all those things hanging from it um, and hanging from a sturdy part of your house, but you could be creative and find lighter ways of doing this and depending on the material that you use to make the hoop. The White Goddess website suggests making a kissing bow and lighting the candles on Christmas Eve and on the 12 evenings following. Obviously, if you don't celebrate Christmas, you could use Yule or any other time that's important to you. The White Goddess website also provides what she describes as a little riddle about mistletoe, and I'll read that in a second. And maybe not in its entirety, but entirety, sorry, but maybe uh, in part, this could be speaking about a hedge witch. So there might be elements this that you'd like to use in crafting your own words for a spell using mistletoe so the riddle goes i live my life between the worlds neither earth nor sky would call me child the birds were my companions the wind and rain my mentors daily i grew in power and strength till snatched out of time by the trickster oh that's lovely yeah aside from being snatched out of time by the trickster although yeah you know, <laughs> Perhaps that is relevant. Perhaps that trickster is death. You know, I don't know. We will be snatched out of time at some point. All the rest of it seems to really sing to my heart about where I find myself in my life. Oh, I like that. I don't know. It gives me some like Norse feels, you know, because I then think of Loki because he was always considered as a trickster. Yes, I can see that. I don't know. It just is a little thing that came up and... Um, I, on that note, am going to kind of take us into the spell work side of things. My apologies for coughing and spluttering over you, Rachel. It is the season to be coldy. Anyway. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. So I am going to delve into some spell work today and there will be a little bit of a Norse theme for this because, of course, all our, you know, pagan 
um practices rituals and so on there is there's such a blend here of like obviously like the anglo-saxon and norse side of things but anyway for my section today i'm going to keep it short and sweet for those of us that are flat out busy i appreciate that for some reason at this time of year it's like every single possible deadline hinges on just before yule and christmas it's almost like the end of the world and everything oh <laughs> into this time space it has to happen now otherwise it's never going to happen but there is time after christmas and we must remember this absolutely i i know i've bored you and many other people by talking about my decorating i'm trying to get my decorating done and i have just spent so long put so many hours into doing it just before christmas why i don't know you're right there is time after christmas it can wait it's one day and that, like this is what i have to remind myself because it's so easy to get swept up with the like the urgency and you know what I'm going to rebel a little bit and I'm going to kind of not. I'm going to really try this year to make it calmer. Cal I, I didn't say calmer, I said calmer. And just, just try and make it healthier because it's, you know, I'm not kind of buying into the panic and so on. Anyway, uh, following on a little bit from Rachel's mistletoe talk, I just wanted to leave this here as well. If you go far enough back, all our ancestors were pagans. They practiced religions that had a few creeds or dogmas. There were no prophets, there were myths and legends, but no scriptures to be taken literally. These religions were based on the celebration of the seasonal cycles of nature. They were based on what people did, not what people believed. And that's from Margot Adler drawing down the moon. I just really thought that was really poignant and I liked it. So I thought I'd just bring it onto the show, but it kind of ties in with what you were talking about, Rachel, as well. Definitely, yeah. I'm going to start with a like more complex form of witchery. It doesn't have to be. It can be as simple as you make it, which also doubles up again in the decorative side of Yule too. And this is in the form of a traditional Yule log. And I've actually never made these, uh, like to be honest. Um, I've always wanted to. I've just never got around to it. That always happens to be a thing. Sorry, I'm laughing, thinking I've only made the chocolate variety. I've never made a real one. Well, I said to my mum about making them and she straight away went, oh, a chocolate one. And I was like, no, a wooden one. <laughs> so she was like, oh, <laughs> okay. But I'm excited for it. Uh, so again, like talking again about um, the Druid side of things, each type of wood is, of course, associated with various magical and spiritual properties logs from different types of trees might be burned to get a variety of effects so like aspen is said to be the wood of choice for spiritual understanding while of course the mighty oak is symbolic of strength and wisdom so it is said that a family hoping for a year of prosperity might burn a log of pine too while a couple hoping to be blessed with fertility would drag a bough of birch to their hearth 
Um, you might want to have a go at making your your log out of pine. It might be that you could like whip this off the base of a real Christmas tree if you have one within your household. I don't. I know that's not that easy, but you can make yours of any type of wood you choose. Please don't kind of feel that that has to be essential. You can select one based on its magical properties, or you can just use whatever's handy. Because come on, let's be real. So to make a basic Yule log, you'll need like a log. And on this um, that I've looked at, it said that you want it to be about 14 to 18 inches long. Now that sounds quite big to me. So you be the judge of how big you want it to be. You might want to add like some pine cones, some dried berries, again, like rose hips, cranberries, cuttings of, here we go, mistletoe, holly, pine need like pine pieces, pine needles and ivy you might want to add cinnamon sticks you might want to add some feathers you might want to add some festive ribbons like use perhaps like paper or cloth ribbons not any like synthetic or wired type it all just needs to be like really natural ideally because obviously you're going to be burning from it um really you would need a hot glue gun this is like ideal um all of these except for the ribbon and the hot glue gun are things that you know you and your children or you and your by yourself like as a lovely little ritual could gather outside um so yeah like you know you might want to take a trip out to the woods maybe this might make a really grounding little ritual to just get out into nature and obviously see what you can find and add to this and you know perhaps thank the land as you as you do as you find things um so yeah i guess you know it's just a case of getting out the old hot glue gun and going for it i think <laughs> so I'm like picturing things in my head now. Sorry, I'm burbling and not getting words out. I really want to do this. I love collecting things from nature. I love taking my girls for walks and doing those things. And there's just something very lovely about it, isn't it? It's a treasure that you can make for yourself with things that you value. So yeah, I like this one. My, I remember my mum and dad always used to take us out for a really long walk on Christmas Eve. And I think that was because it was really nice because we would be in this frantic energy of like, oh, school's just finished. And, you know, it get, it gets so overwhelming. And, and even us as adults get really overwhelmed this time of year. It's exciting. But sometimes if you're too overwhelmed, it's not that much fun. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it go, it can easily switch from being really exciting to just oh there's way too much going on and I'm it's freaking me out so you know I really think like that really long walk might be really perfect and it could be as you know as close to the solstice as you as you like but I just think that walk alone could just be the foundation of it and that's the magic in that particular walk together yeah that's a really nice idea and like so like we said at the beginning having a week with the any of us that've got children having a week with them for Christmas and um, you will fall in that week that's a really lovely time to do it and a way of keeping them busy and you know not chomping at the bit to open presents mm -hmm, definitely and you're not in you know you're not out in a shop or a supermarket or you are you know maybe if you can just spend that one time out in nature before just think it'd be really lovely even just the memory of that day hopefully they're not you know yeah just just I just think it'd be a nice little time to be had by all
And um, I'm going to keep it simple with everything else because I think we really, you know, could use some simplicity at the moment. So I've got a winter solstice tarot spread. So um, simply five cards and for your first card, pull on that to ask what do you have to give and this is ultimately you know skills talents and the gifts that you have within that you can bring and give to the world to friends to loved ones um card number two what gifts do you need to receive so the same but in return from friends the universe life you know loved ones all all of that third card what can you learn from the darkness so what can you learn from this time of year or perhaps if you are moving through any particular darkness within your life now card number four where is the light being rebirthed in my life so really looking at and understanding where are your blessings right now what's going well for you and number five, what should I celebrate? Again, you know, what's ahead of you? What have you got to look forward to? You can even use these as journaling prompts if you don't feel that they are, you know, something you want to get into for tarot. It's a great little reflective time, again, with a solstice. If you honour the new year being January 1st, you know, that could work really well for you to have a look at you might want to and i'm literally going to go through just some very simple little rituals and i've kind of brought this again for time with yourself time to have just a minute alone by yourself without all the panic the rush going on okay and just to simply savor this season and all I would say is you might just want to simply light a white candle and speak one of the following prayers. So this is a Yuletide prayer. I think I got this from the White Witch Parlor. I will post it in the show notes, but she does have some lovely pins on Pinterest. She's a very good YouTuber. Tis the season of cold and white. May your spirit shine bright on this very night. With intuitive vision and the beauty of sight, may your heart embrace the return of the light. How lovely. It's just really nice and it just gives you a chance to gather yourself really and come back to yourself. I really like the simplicity of it always. I, you know, I think we can overcomplicate things like you said about have, just having a simple um, moment to yourself or a simple tarot spread. It's very very easy to think that you've got to go more complex and even you know we set off with the intention with this podcast of keeping things simple and it's very easy to get pulled into all different angles and different things and look at too much stuff and it doesn't have to be like that you can just pick one thing and that's okay mm, I agree absolutely absolutely and I think get comfortable with saying no like if you really can't do it all you know there's a couple of things that I'm gonna have to bow out of because it's self-preservation and I can't do it for everybody else. You know, there's certain things that of course I will do to keep other people happy, you know, to an extent, but I think sometimes there can be an element of us getting rushed along and kind of agreeing to things. And it's really not in our best interest. It's not, you know, really going to help with the season. So don't be afraid to, you know, say no and, and do what you need to do to keep healthy and, you know, from a mental health and self-preservation point of view. 
keep coming back to the idea that it is a time of rest. It's supposed to be a time of rest. You know, it's dark, it's cold. We're meant to be in our homes. Yeah, give yourself permission. You know, we have to, we can't pour from an empty cup. So that's kind of my take on things at the moment. And I'm just reminding myself of that. It's hard to put into practice. I'm not going to say it isn't, but I'm just, I just keep coming back to that right now. And that it is just one day, a very special day, but you know, we don't want to, and I'm not like telling anyone, like teaching anyone how to suck eggs, but it is just one day. So, you know, I'm very much myself, like trying to work on like not, you know, losing all my energy and all my money and so on for one day. Absolutely. Very wise. (laughs) It is a little season. Yeah, it is, you know, absolutely. And we can't forget that. But yes, it's got to, you know, be for our highest good, really. Um, Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling and leave you with a Nordic Yule blessing. Uh, The Viking in me has to go with this to finish it up. And we've touched on, obviously, you know, some of the uh, Norse goddesses and so on. So I've changed out brothers to sisters within this Yule blessing assumptively because I know most of our listeners as a demographic are female, but I include our fellow witchy brothers also. Beneath the tree of light and life, a blessing at this season of Yule. To all that sit at my hearth, today we are sisters, we are family, and I drink to your health. Today is a day to offer hospitality to all that cross cross my threshold in the name of the season. I, I um, think that's it all, doesn't it? Because when you were just saying about giving yourself a break and keeping it calm, what you absolutely don't want is a scenario that my mum will probably be cross for me for, <laughs> with me for mentioning. But we used to have it, and sometimes we have it in this house, that somebody was coming round at short notice and all hell let loose with having to tidy up in a hurry rather than just saying, you can come in and have a cup of tea despite the fact you might have to brush the chair before you sit on it to make sure there's no crumbs, that shouldn't matter. It's about the hospitality, not about this image of perfection. Absolutely. And I have very similar a memory, to be honest. And I agree. It is, you know, I think we hold ourselves to such a pressure at times. And I'm saying this from experience with being the hostess with the mostess and, and you know, just doing all these different things that we feel and maybe it's like traditionally we've had that pressure put on us across the course of time and the expectation and it's built and built and the media pushes it as well. And I don't want to start sounding, sounding rambly and, you know, grinchy about it, but yeah, I'm just trying to, and I guess, cause my mum has always been like very like on this as well. Like we've kind of said, no, we're not going to put that pressure on ourselves and we're just going to enjoy it and not make it too big and scary. Well, that's my way of doing things too. So at the start of this, you mentioned about setting intentions and sowing the seeds of ideas. And we can then begin to manifest these things throughout the wheel of the year. So in terms of shamanic work, I feel like in the absence of any particular thing that an individual needs, this would be the most relevant work to the time of year, which is about setting your intentions. So where does an intention begin? It makes sense to me that it must begin with what we want. So spending some time thinking about what we actually want is really fundamental. 
I'd encourage quite analytical thinking in relation to figuring out what you want, as well as going by your instinct. Analytical because I think it's really easy to keep plodding on with the same intentions, um, but the thing that you wanted so much a year ago or five years ago might not truly be what you want right now. So it does take some actual thinking about what do I want? So we can, as humans, get stuck on the things that we've been working towards and continue pursuing the same thing, whether it's actually in our interests or not. And I think it's at least worth considering what you actually want, what would benefit you, those around you, and maybe if you're feeling powerful, and I really hope that you are, the planet or even the universe. There's a traumatic, traumatic, nope, shamanic <laughs> train of thought that everything, and I mean everything that we experience in the outside world is a projection of our inner selves. I'm not saying that this is true, but just suppose for this exercise that it is. What do you want to see outside of yourself? This is also what we're needing on the inside. You're going to have to stop me if I'm talking um, in a way that's really confusing, because whilst I know what I want to say, I found it very difficult to put all this into words this time. So there's two ways and maybe more of undertaking shamanic work in relation to this. You can do internal work. You can look inside yourself and see what's missing. You can then see what you're longing for and seek it. I think I am just talking round in circles. No, 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 you're not. Because I Are you with me? I'm with you. No, you're not at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm understanding this because I haven't heard or read this, you know, like I haven't like heard or, you know, seen your notes or anything like that. And, no, I, and I am standing with it. So what I'm, I suppose what I'm imagining is, and I'm going to go off my notes to try and explain myself better. If you look out into the world and you think that everyone around you is unhappy, is that because you yourself are unhappy on the inside? And this train of thought would say, yes, it is. So therefore, you can either surround yourself with happy people on the outside and feel that happiness on the inside reflected back into you, or you could change how you feel on the inside by acknowledging that that's why you're seeing what you're seeing on the outside because your interpretation is relevant to this, isn't it? So it's basically finding that connection between what's going on out in the ordinary reality of the world and what's going on inside yourself. So, so I, I'm sorry, well, Rachel, I was going to interject because you are spot on. Um, and like, I know, as you all know, like Rachel works as a shamanic practitioner, but I actually work as like a manifestation healer so I do a lot of work within law of attraction it's quite a big area for my work like day to day and you are spot on like everything that you see you keep picking up on is absolutely you know where your mindset your vibration is set at so therefore yeah. you have to go inside to change your state so that you see you have to go inside to change the mindset to change you know the inside so the outside will yeah. reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all kind of where I've said there's two ways of looking at it. Really, it's one and the same, which is that it's going inside because that's all we've got. That's all we can control. So you're either seeking out things and that comes from you anyway, that are going to change your mindset or you're going to know that you need to change your mindset. It, it kind of is the same thing. 
Mm. Um, so you have to look inside yourself, see what's missing or what requires change. And as I said at the start, or tried to say in my roundabout way, this starts with really knowing what you want. So in terms of journeying, you could use your spirit guides here to be useful um, additions to, to your own thought processes. I'd be inclined to recommend upper world guides because in upper world, we deal with the bigger picture. So you're not really looking at past issues and things here. Um, you're looking at how do I, Im you know, how do I understand what I want? How do I improve things for myself? It's the bigger picture of your life. So you could undertake an upper world journey and simply speak with your upper world guides. I'm not suggesting that all it's going to take is for you to go and ask them what you want or what's right for you, because I think you should, if you're able, be able to take a more active role in this and engage in a conversation with them. You know, I like the idea of personal power and personal responsibility. So because of that, I don't think my guides ever just roll over and tell me directly what I need to hear. They always make me work a little bit harder for it. I've got a noisy cat coming in now, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so you might surprise yourself with the ideas that you come out with just in conversations with your guides. They might be very clear in their responses to you or they might be more cryptic, giving you just what you need to work out for yourself how best to move forwards. So I've said before, I'm not much of a planner and in many ways it's true. I like to retain the magic and the cabinet of curiosities that not knowing what's coming brings to my life. But obviously there are circumstances where we need to plan and allow time to consider things like big stuff, you know, you're buying a house, starting a business, changing jobs, having a child. It could be that you've got an intention to do something major moving forward after Yule, or it might be that you like to consider possible outcomes for all kinds of decisions and hopefully no matter what your approach to life is, there's some benefit to you of giving this following exercise a try. And how you embark on this exercise might depend upon what the decision is that you're making. So it's an exercise where in a meditative state, you visualize either a timeline or a map or something similar, whatever appeals to you the most. Spend some time getting your bearings understand what the timeline or map represents so whether it's limited to a particular decision a phase of your life your whole life or even past lives and your soul's um, journey on this planet altogether and imagine yourself floating up above your timeline you might see one direction ahead of you or you might see many and you can choose to take the route that appeals to you the most Floating along above it, you can look down at yourself at different stages of having pursued with this decision in the way that, it, um, it, that this route has taken you. And you can then look from safely floating above it. How does it look to you from where you are? Is that future version of yourself that's in that scenario happy? Who's around them? What are their surroundings like? Is anything missing? And using this exercise, you can float back and forth. You can go back to the start and try again you can find any forks in the path and try different routes see what works for you what path presents the fewest or the most tolerable obstacles or if you're feeling completely filled with personal power you might be looking for the path where the obstacles would actually terrify you and could you 
by facing them become something so much greater than you were before you know that feel the fear but do it anyway thing that we talked about yeah. and you can spend as much time or as little time as you like just exploring different options and to me this fits really neatly within both the ideas for this time of year but also setting intentions so if you feel inclined go and speak with your future self in any or all of the alternative routes that you view if you're floating above a timeline or above a map you can just float down into that point of either of those things and speak to that version of yourself you've got the answers inside you so your future self will be able to tell you now what it feels about whether this route was the right thing for them and who's to say anyway that all of these routes don't occur as parallel versions of themselves and that we're actually going to experience all these things? I don't know, but I do love to wonder. If you take that route as well, you could also come down to yourself in the middle of the process on the timeline. Exactly. See what you're doing to get there. Exactly. All the answers are there because by the time if you get to the end of, you know, it, suppose it were, um, getting a job, you're applying for the job of, job of your dreams. When you travel down to the version of yourself who's already got that job, you not only know by speaking to them that that happened, but also how it happened and which route you needed to take to get there and any problems that crop up. It can, it's a really powerful way of helping you to make decisions. Um, so I've got my own little quote to finish with, which is from Ross Heaven's book, The Journey to You. It's not his quote. He's quoting somebody named Richard Bach, who says, don't turn away from possible futures before you're certain you don't have anything to learn from them. You're always free to change your mind and choose a different future or a different past. And I feel there's a great deal of power in that. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. I've used this timeline or um, like a roadmap thing in therapeutic settings. And what's quite often surprising about it to the person that's experiencing it is how emotional you can feel moving forward or backwards along this route, um, whichever one you choose. It just indicates to me that our subconscious has got so much knowledge, things inside us know. And that's the stem of instinct and things to me, you know, your future self giving you a heads up that actually this isn't quite right, this scenario for you or, or something when you just get a jolt of knowing that you don't know how you know, it's all part of that for me. And you can feed off the feeling because when it comes to manifesting, um, looking at the work I do, the feeling that you get once you come down into where you want to be, once you've achieved or had or got whatever you know or whatever the situation is that you want if you go and visit yourself with that and then you look around and you see yourself in that place where you wanted to be or you know where you thought you might want to be you can go off the feeling that comes with it you know do i feel really excited is it every you know you can take that feeling and then when you are working towards that goal that becomes like the fuel for the fire it's a really exactly really part yeah of like manifesting so yeah. you might want to if you think this is the path for me i want that you can go back in like and and, and like go and see you there if you need to refuel that fire of passion to to do it 
Um, and anything you see in your mind, you can hold in your hands. That's like, you know, the whole law of attraction kind of, you know, methodology and, and belief. So I think that's yeah. a brilliant method. Uh, you know, I'm really definitely, yeah, I, I might even use that in some of my work, Rachel. So thank you. Help <laughs> yourself. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I really think that's really powerful. I love it. It's, it's a, it is a really powerful tool. I, I mean, there's, as you've just explained, there's so much crossover between all the different um, practices and things, which makes me happy because that makes me believe that although for many, many decades, hundreds of years, I don't know, people didn't talk about shamanic practices in the same way that we're trying to sort of bring back alive now from our understanding of shamanic practice all over the world and what would have occurred in this country people did still do the things even if they didn't know that that's what it was called because they've all developed down different routes and it's just about finding the one that's right for you you know some people that I've spoken to about this say oh witchcraft's not for me and I'm like well really you don't you know it's just whatever you feel so how can that not be what's right for you but if there are other titles given to things um, law of attraction whatever manifesting then that's all good as far as I'm concerned absolutely there is a lot of absolutely crossover in a few areas for sure definitely but no I really love that and I feel very excited for you all now and very calm actually I think I've calmed down throughout the episode I think <laughs> from where we were <laughs> start with all the internet problems to where we are now yes I am in a much better place and um, it's caused me to consider lots about how we're going to celebrate it ourselves so I think that's everything that I have to say on the matter of yours and about you, Rachel. I think that's what you know me. I could witter on forever, but I won't. And <laughs> <laughs> let people go on with their day. And I guess it's just for us to say we hope you have a beautiful, amazing, calm, sacred Yule, however you wish to enjoy it, a wonderful Christmas, whatever festivities you embrace at this time of year we would love to hear of course if you do have a go at anything we've included in this or any other episode that we have put out already we will put everything we can in the show notes that we feel might help you on your way um but yes please do tag us on instagram all of our socials will be in the show notes you know we'd love to hear what you get up to and send us your pictures. I like seeing the pictures of what people have been doing. Yes, please. Please do keep sending us your pictures. We love hearing from you all. And I guess I'm just going to say, yeah, have a wonderful one and look after yourselves. Yes, blessings for you all. <laughs>